Hello, Amanda Smith here. As always, so happy to have you with me on another edition of How She Did It. Now, before this episode is over and you go, make sure you hit that subscribe button that we can come back and hang out with us each week. So the resume alone for this week's guest could probably take up all the time we have for this episode. She is a pioneer in the game of basketball and has played professionally in both men's and women's leagues. She's a two-time Olympian, a silver medalist, has coached in the WNBA and NBA, and is the first woman ever to become a head coach of a men's professional team in any sport as a coach in the big three. Now I know I'm building the anticipation, so without further ado, here is the Hall of Famer, the one and only Nancy Lieberman. Take a listen. Hey there, Amanda Smith here with the Hall of Famer, Nancy Lieberman. It is so special to have you on the show. I can't thank you enough for making time to join me. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You know, you have been such a pioneer when it comes to basketball. When did you know, though, that you could use the game to pursue a career as a player and then ultimately as a coach? Well, today's athlete, today's female uh, like Sabrina, a nephew, she will know that she's going to have a great career in the WNBA, that when her career's over, she can get into coaching, broadcasting, managing, she can do anything. Back when I was um, her age and coming through high school and college, I had hoped one day I could play professionally. It, it, it was a hope and a prayer. Today it's an expectation and, and a reality. So I guess that's why they call me a, a pioneer or whatever it is you call me, which means I'm old. But it's no. okay. <laughs> no, seriously, it's actually, you know, when people go, oh, you're a trailblazer, you're this, you're a pioneer. It just means that you were early in the game. And I feel kind of uh, pretty fortunate because even though, like, I'm a kid from the 70s, I was still able to get a scholarship, you know, to go to college. Um, I was able to play professionally in the first women's league uh, in 1980, the WBL. And then, you know, years later, play in um, in the WNBA at 39. But in between that, you have to make your own opportunities. So, you know, I played for the Lakers. I played for, for Jerry, um, for Pat Riley in 1980 in the Lakers Summer League. You know, in 80, 86, 87, I played in the USBL which is a men's league, equivalent to the NBA G League. And then I played summer league with the Utah Jazz. I played for Frank Layton. So all the Utah folks, um, they uh, those are pretty impressive teams with Coach Layton. So, uh, you know, I'm just so fortunate to do things in my career, even though I would have loved to have had my prime against women. That this wasn't my lot in life, and, and I'm okay with that. You know, as you talk about your professional career, you play seven years, and then you retire. You're working as a TV analyst, and then the WNBA is born. What is it that drove you to come out of retirement and want to be a part of then this new league? I would have to take you back to 1984-85 when um, 
the then commissioner, um, the late David Stern, called me. You know, I was about 25 years old, and he was like, look, I'd like you to come to New York. I'd like to talk to you, so I flew to New York. And I, I spent like an hour with him, and he shut the door in his office. And he goes, before my time is done here with the NBA, there's going to be a WNBA. And I was like, really? What are you talking about? Like, talk about a visionary. This is 1980-45. The league didn't start until 97. And he is sitting there telling me there's going to be a women's professional league. And he says his only hope is that I'm still around to play in it. And, of course, when you're 25 or so, you know, you think you're going to play forever. You don't think about the end because you're, you're at the beginning. And so I was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to be playing and blah, blah, blah. So then fast forward to 97 in the WNBA. And here I am at 39 years old, you know, eking out another year of this career. But the coolest thing that happened was the morning of my first game uh, with the Phoenix Mercury, I got a phone call from David Stern, and he said, I'm really proud of you. I'm just so happy. He, he, You could hear the emotion in his voice because it meant a lot to him that this was actually happening and that I was actually playing. So, you know, I, I feel really fortunate. What did it mean to you to get that phone call from him? Were you expecting that at all? No, no. I mean, but, you know, he's just one of the, the coolest cats out there. He just cares. To start a league from scratch is, is pretty amazing. And, you know, I said this years ago, every woman that played in the WNBA owes David Stern a phone call, a letter, just to say thank you. You know, thank you for giving us uh, equality, opportunity, and inclusion in something that we have put our life towards. So it's, um, there's been so many, you know, different directions of, of my life and my career, and each one of them is, is impactful. You know, it's like building a, a puzzle of who yeah. you become. And, you know, I don't look at things and go, what was me? Oh, my gosh. I can't believe, you know, I was this poor kid from New York. I didn't have this, that, and the other. You, you can't live like that. I mean, you can't live being a victim, you know. Uh, you have to live being uh, a victor. And that's how I've kind of looked at things throughout my uh, life, I, I just did not, oh, Lord, I just didn't want to be one of those who, you know, the woulda, coulda, shoulda club because I never tried because of all those things. And it was really important to me to just give the best that I had, whether it was playing against men, being they were bigger, stronger, quicker, more athletic, but it's okay, you know, they didn't have my heart. They didn't have my desire, maybe my IQ. So you just never know what you're bringing to the table and how you're influencing people. And as you talk about, you know, being this victor of your own story, you've said, you know, your life has kind of been filled with these sort of Nancy Camp moments where people have doubted you and what you would be capable of accomplishing. But when you repeatedly heard you can't, like, you can't go to college, 
you can't make the Olympic team, whatever it may have been, what made you believe, no, I can? You know, uh, it's easy to look back and say, well, you know, I knew I was going to do this, 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 and this, and I think that that's a bunch of crap. That's, you don't know. You know, you can set yourself up as best you can with that opportunity that's in front of you. But for me, I just, I wanted to be, I wanted to be great. I needed sports more than sports needed me uh, because of my, my upbringing. I had a very challenging uh, childhood, and I was angry that I had no father. I was angry that I didn't have, you know, certain things. You know, there were days we didn't have food or heat or electricity, and we were probably one grandparent away from food stamps. And I just was very disappointed in so many things and, and people telling me what I couldn't be instead of them telling me what I could be. But, you know, I didn't understand it then, but I realize now they were just giving me what, what the, their belief system. And I'm not entitled to your mediocrity. I'm not entitled to your doubt. I'm not entitled to your insecurities. Those are yours and keep them to yourself. And that's how I developed like that mentality of, you know, I made me and I'll break me. That's how I felt when I was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. And, you know, Kobe had the Mamba mentality, you know, MJ had his mentality, um, Michael Jordan, but that's how I, I became very defiant in, in what you think of me. I really didn't care. And then when I was about 10 and, you know, I saw Muhammad Ali saying he was the greatest of all times, it, just, it gave me hope. It gave me something. And I hung on every word that Muhammad Ali said at, you know, 10, 11, 12, whatever. And then you know, making the Olympic team as a junior in high school. And, you know, when we won the, the gold medal at the Pan Am Games, and then 76, the Olympics, I was a senior in high school. And it was, I mean, everybody was like, well, you can't do this, you can't. Yes, I can. You don't get to tell me what I am. You don't get to tell me what I can do. You can cut me, but you don't get to, you know, put mind monsters in my head. I'm going to let you have those. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. That's yours. And I don't want you to filter that to me. And I'd be, like I said, I became so good at departmentalizing where I was going to go. I saw myself playing in the Olympics. I saw myself wearing that USA jersey number 10. I saw myself, I would stare at the list in 1974, when I was going to tryouts, I would stare at the list of names, and I would envision myself being on that team. And so, um, you know, Oprah, of course, now uh, she has her vision board, and I had uh, my thing was I had to see it, say it, be it, and that's what I believed. I saw myself being on the Olympic team. You know, I would say every day. I look in the mirror, I'm like, I'm going to be on that team. I'm going to be on that team. Nancy, you're too young. They don't take young kids. They don't take high school kids. Well, okay, well, maybe I'm going to be different. Maybe I'm going to make them take me. 
you know, with with how I play or my energy or my effort or my desire. And then crazy, it happened. You know, see it, say it, be it. And that's how I became that that person. And, you know, Ali had such an incredible impact on me. And then I get a scholarship to college. Uh, of course, it was, well, you know, you'll never go to college. Okay, well, I, I, I was, you know, elated to go to Old Dominion. Then it's like you'll never win anything. Okay. We didn't win. We we only won 125 and 15, you know, in my four years. We only won three championships, you know, the NIT and two back-to-back <laughs> national championships. But we only went, uh, you know, 104 and six my last two years. We only went 72 and two my last year, my last two years. Uh, uh, my last two years we were 72 and two. My last three years were 104 and six. You know, bring, it, it was that mentality of keep telling me what we can't do, keep telling me what I can't do, and I lived, I lived to to prove people wrong. Um, I'm not saying it has to work that way for everybody, but it worked that way for me. It just fueled my, you know, that being laser-focused and, and wanting to be the greatest of all time and and putting in the hard work to match the words. So that's kind of how my life has been built, you know, as an athlete, um, you know, you know, even to to play against men in my prime, it didn't matter how good I was. It they were always bigger, stronger, faster. But I had to every day. I had to come ready to to play and compete. And uh, I look I look back, and it's actually kind of kind of cool sometimes to go. I can't believe I did that. Would I have taken the train to Harlem by myself at 12 years old today? You know, dear Nancy, you're going to ride a train to Harlem from far Rockaway, and, you know, when you're 12 years old, you're going to take $2 from your mom's wallet. She's going to think you're at the park across the street at PS 104, and then when you don't come home, she's going to be worried, and when you walk in the house at 8 o'clock, she's going to yell at you. You weren't at the park. You're then going to look your mother in the eye and say, I was at the park. Rucker Park in Harlem. <laughs> I mean, it's a crazy story. Um, it's fearless. It's fearlessness. You know, you had talked about the impact Muhammad Ali has had on your life. What are some of the things that you were able to learn from him? Well, I met him my going into my senior year in Old Dominion. We were both the athletes making an appearance for the Olympic Committee at a fundraiser in uh, New York. At the New York Stock Exchange, I couldn't breathe when I was in the room with him. I could not believe that my man, my hero, was, like, there. And, you know, he probably knew I was broken, down deep, and he took, you know, he took me under his wing. It was um, it was amazing. I'm so grateful that, you know, uh, from that night I met him, he said to me, there'll never be a day that I'm not in your life. And I'm like, you want to me? What do you mean? He goes, 
I'll always be there for you. And to his word, he was. And I don't know why he picked me. I know he's done a lot of things for a lot of people. You know, but I had a 40-year relationship with him. I mean, since 1979 until the day we buried him. You know, almost 40 years ago, June. And, you know, it's like when you're young and somebody is there for you and, you know, just building your confidence and giving you wisdom and just kind of protecting you. And then it's like, uh, like I said, it's like parenting. You get older and then that person is there for you. And those last, you know, six, seven years of his life, I find it ironic that I would be sitting in his house with him, with his wife in Phoenix, just holding his hand, just feeding him food. He loved those little freezer pops on a stick, wiping his face, and just telling him how much I love him. It's crazy how life sort of repeats itself um, as we get older. And just to be able to sit there and, and look him in the eye and tell him what he means to me and what he meant to me. And it's, it's almost hard to describe because, you know, on, on so many levels, I can't believe he was in my life in so many ways as, as, a, as a hero, as a mentor, as a friend, as, you know, a family member. It's not, isn't it? But he was... He was there. When you imagined this vision you had of what you wanted your playing career to look like, when did coaching then become a part of that picture? I actually never wanted to coach. I never thought about it um, because I was just so focused on, on playing. Um, although I had my basketball camp since 1980. And this is our 40-year anniversary of them. But I just, I love being around young people. I love teaching what I was taught because I never felt like it was mine. I had been coached by some of the greatest coaches in the world, from, you know, Jody Conrad to Billy Moore, Sue Gunner, Pat Summit, uh, Marianne Stanley, Dean Meminger, Pat Riley, just, just to name a few. And so I love teaching kids. And then it was my, uh, my at the end of my last year, my first year playing for the Phoenix Mercury in 97 when uh, there, were two, uh, fr- there were two franchises that were going to be expansive, uh, Washington and Detroit, the Shock and the Mystics. And both teams interviewed me. And I thought, well, maybe this is another way to contribute to the game. So that's when my mind started, okay, maybe this is, I'm closer to the end of the diving board, (laughs) jumping in, and I still wanted to affect the game. And, you know, Detroit offered me a grand slam to be the coach, to be the general manager, you know, shop for the groceries, and then build your team, build your dish. And I found it to be fascinating, Uh, you know, coaching, Life, love, business, sports, whatever. Life is self-communication. And if you have great communication, great things will happen to you. If you have poor communication, not so great things will happen to you. You have to read people and you have to treat them differently. But you have to be honest. You have to be forthright. 
direct. You know, um, just because I'm a direct person doesn't mean I'm a mean person. It just means that's my manner of communication. And, you know, I'm not one to kind of, you know, uh, hide what I'm feeling. I'm, I'm pretty transparent and I have high expectation levels with people. And I'm more of a minimalist with how I have coached. You know, this is what we're going to do. This is why these are going to be the results. And I fill in. I explain what we're going to do. I explain why we're going to do it. And then we get a chance to reap the results of our hard work and our discipline. Um, I want to celebrate players. I don't want to tolerate players. You know, I, I want them to know that I care beyond being um, a coach. And I'm going to push you hard. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to explain why these things are so important and how short your career is. And if I can get you from where we meet, you might have two or three contracts in your career. Because by the time you start getting the 30, 31, 32, they're looking for the next 19, 20-year-old. And eventually you're going to age out of your profession. And so I'm here to teach you and to explain how to max it, you know, just to max out your career and to master the things that take no talent. It, it doesn't take talent to show up. It doesn't take talent to have a winner's mentality. It doesn't take talent to want to train hard. And it doesn't take talent, you know, to finish a task. Those are a lot of energy and effort type of things that I've just mentioned. And so that's what I try to do. I mean, I can X and O with you. I can put a game plan together. We can put personnel together for you. So you know, you can never say, well, I, Coach, I didn't know that, uh, you know, Omari Stoudemire played for Tri-State. Yes, you do. You have a comprehensive report on if he goes left, if he goes right, what would you like to spin off. You're going to get all that. But then you have to be prepared for your moment. You know, there's skill and will. And we hope that you can have both. And I love it. And, you know, I know people are different, and women are different than guys, um, and you coach people a little differently, but there's basic fundamentals of coaching and preparation that defies gender. So whether I'm coaching in the WNBA, uh, whether I'm coaching NBA players, G League players, Big Three players, I, I get a lot of joy out of it. And it's my it's my job to give you a reason to make a sacrifice. That's what I try to do. I try to give you a reason. Through coaching in the WNBA and, you know, the D League, which we now know is the G League, the NBA as an assistant coach, how did you know that the next move for you was to move into the big three? Well, crazy things happen in people's lives. Um I still, I, I probably would have been in the uh, NBA to this moment if my mother in, in 2016, my mother got sick. You know, it's the the call you hate 
um, you're in the locker room after a game in Denver, um, and then you get a call, you got to come home now, mom's in the hospital. And it was, I took a red eye from uh, from Denver to whatever, Miami, and they, they thought she was going to die and she had some issue with her heart. And um, I just, life has choices. And um, again, I, I don't want to have any regrets in life. But it, you know, sometimes there's that tug where you've worked your whole life and now you have been given this enormous um, opportunity to coach in the NBA, and I'm, I'm thankful to the Sacramento Kings and Vlade Divac and, and our owner, Vivek uh, Ramadiv, that they would want me. But now it's one of those things, well, here's my mother, and, you know, they're talking about putting her in hospice. Life, opportunity, money, status, what, you know, we always go, oh, yeah, family first, family first, until you have to make that decision, you know what I mean? And so I went to see her. I stayed for a couple of weeks. And I knew in my heart of heart that if if she was going to live, I mean, I needed to be there. I needed to have that freedom to hop on a plane and fly anytime I wanted. But I felt down deep, um, I I felt bad because, you know, it was just Becky and I at that time in the league, and I didn't want anybody to say, well, see, women can't do this. And I felt a tremendous responsibility and respect to the game. But I had to put my mother first. And so, you know, at the end of my second year, you know, I talked to Vlade and I ended up leaving. So I didn't know if I'd ever get an opportunity to coach again, to answer your question, until in 2018, I'm sitting in my house, I'm watching the NCAA tournament, I'm flipping back and forth straight out of Compton, and um, I get a call from the big print, and they're like, you know, this is what we're looking at, you know, would you have interest? And this is, you know, Ice Cube just had a meeting with some of the people, and then they sent me a contract in the middle of the night, and the next morning I was on a conference call with Ice Cube. And it's like, do I call you Mr. Ice? Do I call you Mr. Cube? Um, where, where am I going? And, you know, I asked him, um, I asked him, I said, you know, why do you want me uh, to coach in your league? And, you know, he's he's a pretty unbelievable human being. I got to tell you, that there's not a finer person, uh, and I've met a lot of people in my uh, career, in my life, this guy is such a stand-up, great communicator, uh, man of the people. He just wants to, he's about equality, he's about inclusion, you know, he's about opportunity. Um, and he said, you know, we were talking, you know, we're sitting around the table and we don't have a female. And I'm, you know, I, I want us to have diversity. And so I said, so, you know, pretty much something to the effect of, are you checking a box? And he goes, no, I think you can win. I said, that's what I wanted to hear. I mean, we all know I'm a woman, but I wanted to hear that you thought I could win. And I wanted so badly for our players. I mean, 
I mean, I was blessed with a great team in power. Clyde Drexler, um, he was the coach the year before. They very well could have won a championship without injuries. You know, Corman getting Torres, uh, his Achilles, uh, other players got injured. But, I, you know, I was excited to meet my team. And um, when you have Corey Maggetti and Coutinho Mobley and Glenn Davis and Chris Anderson, Birdman, and, and Quentin Richardson, these guys are pros, pros. They are great men. They are focused on the job at hand. And it was so amazing to be able to coach these these amazing men, fantastic fathers. You know, uh, some of these guys are men of, of, of deep faith. And to see how professional they were and the understanding of each other and the game and quite frankly open-minded to me. You know, I mean, Corey could have called it off if he wanted. He could have said no, but he didn't. He said yes. Matter of fact, we were talking one day. He went, "Lady Magic," and but that's that's how these guys are. And I want them to know my job is to to help make them better, to help them uh, achieve their goals and dreams. Some of them have never won a championship as as gifted and amazing careers they had in the NBA. They had never won a championship. They had money. And now it was a point in their career where they could be in the locker room. We encouraged having their children there. We want their kids in the locker room, running around, having fun, seeing what their daddy does and did. You know, 20 minutes before the game, scoot, go in the stands, go get your seat, your popcorn, whatever. But I want to know my players' names. I want to know their wives. I want to know what makes them happy. I, 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 there will be times that I'm going to look them in the eye and go, no, this is what we're going to do. Thank you. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be direct. But I have to build a relationship with them. And, you know, I had, I had to set the tone that this was real. I mean, Ice Cube has put a lot of money, he and his group, into giving us this opportunity. And we owe it to him to come with the good and to be the best that we can. And I wanted our team to win so bad for the league, the exposure, the fans, and, and quite frankly, for our players. They deserve to be champions and have that confetti come down on them. And I was so proud to be a part of their success. And I didn't know if I was going to have a coach again. That's crazy to think about. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it really is. I mean, I'm I'm very confident in what I do, but I'm also very appreciative of what I was allowed to do with the the men that I had. It was a, it was a dream come true. This podcast that I have to me, it's it's about celebrating others and their story. And just in the short amount of time we've gotten to talk with one another, I can tell that you undoubtedly do that for others. To the person I try. listening, <laughs> uh-huh. well, you, you're doing a great job. But, you know, to the person listening who has these 
larger-than-life dreams, right, that, that frankly seem so far out of reach, what would you hope that they know? Well, I would say never stop working, wanting, or dreaming. I mean, you can't achieve something if you don't believe it or see it. And a lot is obtainable. And what happens is so many people end up, so many people end up not reaching their dreams and goals because they're they're afraid of failure instead of embracing success. And it's a, you know, it goes back to that mindset. I mean, it's like the Michael Jordan, you know, whatever that commercial is. I took, you know, two, you know, two, you could pull it up on the internet, 2,000 shots in like, uh, you know, in, 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 what was it, like 87 game winning shots yeah. in my career. And I, uh, you know, I missed, you know, 70% of them. But he made 30%. I'm, I'm, I'm fudging the numbers here. And you can't be afraid of taking that game-winning shot. You can't be afraid of it. And I think that's really important. You can't be afraid of success. Yeah. I mean, so many people, but that's the thing. And But so many people are truly afraid of taking that shot or calling the play or because it's going to come back to Nancy didn't call the right play. Uh, you know what? We lost because sometimes you got to see the glass half full. You got to try. And so many people don't try because of the negativity. And I'm not afraid to try. I mean, I know I'm going to fail at things. Well, you are going to hopefully not fail in this game I have come up with, inspired by the big three. I don't think that you're going to fail at this at all. But stick around because Nancy is playing my version of the big three game coming up. Welcome back inside House You Did It. Amanda Smith here, still here with Nancy Lieberman. She has not left. It's an honor to have her on the show. So I have come up with this big three inspired game for the work that you you do with them. Uh, so I have just a couple questions here. And you can give me three answers for each. If you don't have three, that's okay. But they don't have to be long, just whatever comes to mind. <laughs> okay. Okay. The top three places basketball has taken you. Top three places it's taken me to the Olympics, to the championship game in college, winning the championship game in college, and it's uh, it's taken me all around the world. I love it. Okay. Top three playing moments. This one might be kind of hard. Or maybe it's not. I don't know. <laughs> Top three moments um, as a player would be definitely the Olympics in Montreal in 76, being up on that podium, bowing your head as they put that Olympic medal around your neck. And you've seen it on TV. It is amazing because you play for your country. You try out for you, but you play for your country. And people at home might or might not know you, but 
because it says USA on your jersey. They pull for you. It's an amazing thing. Uh, the second thing for me was playing in Madison Square Garden where I grew up. Uh, it's the mecca of sports and basketball. And I used to dream as a kid to play in the garden, and, and I did, which was ridiculously great. And then watching my kid play basketball, my son, I'm so proud of TJ playing basketball. And, you know, him playing at the University of Richmond, I know that's not my moment, it's his moment. But I'm really proud of him, um, what he did uh, in college and now playing professionally in uh, Israel. Yes, proud mama moment. I love it. Uh, top three coaching moments. Top three coaching moments for me was when uh, the shock, Detroit shock in 1998 became, uh, in 1999 became the first expansion team to ever make the WNBA playoffs. Um, in 2011, when I was coaching in the NBA G League, or D-League, uh, we became the first expansion team uh, to make the playoffs, my first year coaching the, the uh, Legends, and then lastly, winning the championship in the Big Three. That was an amazing night for a Brooklyn Queens girl in Barclays Center, and in front of a sold-out arena, millions plus people on national TV and to get up on that podium and hoist the trophy was pretty electric. To have Ice Cube hand you the trophy and say, women can do anything men can do. And he meant it from his heart. To clarify, did you ever find out, is it Mr. Ice or Mr. Cube? <laughs> it's Cube. It's Cube. <laughs> It's oh. awesome. I just, uh, you know, he, we honored him at uh, my event um, a year a, a year ago, uh, and when he gave his speech, you know, he looked at me and he goes, "You're you're my spirit animal," and I'm like, "That's good, right? I'm good. It's a it's a good thing." And he goes, "You know, Nancy, we're different, but we're the same." You know, I'm black, she's white, she's from East Coast, I'm from the West Coast. Um, you know, sometimes we go over things, sometimes we go around things, sometimes we go under things, and even sometimes we've got to go through things. And he goes, we are one of a kind, and she's my spirit animal. That was one of the nicest things anybody's ever said to me. I loved it. And I'm proud to be his spirit animal. This is kind of a good lead-in to our last question of our big three game, our big three themed game. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> who, who are three people that you would just want to thank, whether they've had an impact on your professional career, your personal life, just three people that come to mind that, that have played an important role for you? Obviously, Muhammad Ali. Uh, Warren Buffett and Kobe Bryant. Those are three legendary names. 
we had a couple just great fan questions for you, so I want to just ask you a couple before we go. Uh, Tim Rushi says, do you have any advice for someone that wants to pursue coaching? I do. Uh, you will never get hired on a resume. You will get hired because of relationships and your interpersonal skills. So I would say if there's a team near you, volunteer, um, intern. you got to get to know. This is sage advice that uh, Pat Riley and David Stern said. You have to be around the people who are going to hire you. They have to know you. And I will share that. You, you must be, if you want to coach in, the, in college, you've got to be around female coaches if it's on the women's side. Or go, to, go to clinic. Go to coaches' symposiums. Um, if there's a, a, a team in your area, ask if you can come in and volunteer. And get to know the people because there's going to be attrition. People are going to go to their next, you know, stopping place, and there will be places available on the coaching staff. You know, I, I've done that. I've let more people intern for me, come into my practices, but you have to be the one to ask. So it's really important that you build those relationships, and then somewhere down the road where you show that you know your stuff, you're going to have a chance to get hired. It doesn't matter if it's high school, college, pro. And I think that goes back to, you know, how you were talking about just being in control of of your own destiny, your own future. If you want it, figure out a way to make it happen. It's not always easy. It's never easy. You're right. It's never easy. But, you know, you have to have that stick-to-itiveness because somebody else is out there. Look, I know everybody wants my job with, uh, with the big three. I knew people wanted my job when I was in the NBA. I know people want my job. I do the TV um, for Fox Southwest with the uh, uh, New Orleans Pelicans. I have to be better. It, it motivates me to try to be better every single day. Our last question, so sad, our time together is coming to an end. It's from T. Lyman. And she says, what's the greatest change you've seen within women's basketball? The greatest change I've seen in women's basketball is opportunity to dream. Um, it's like I said uh, early, to the, the women that were a week ago Tuesday were drafted in the WNBA. They have been planning and working towards the dream since they can remember picking up a ball. So, you know, it's like if you build it, they will come. If you give women, you know, some inclusion, diversity, opportunity, then we're going to be laser-focused. If you don't think you can do something because it's not there. You know, I remember having this conversation with Kobe Bryant one day, and, you know, because I came back at 39 and I came back at 50. He wanted to talk about when I played that day uh, against the, the Comet, and he goes, why would you do it? And I said, because I wanted to show my son, I wanted to, you know, see if I could come back and play because I, I love the game. It, it's a beautiful love story. But most importantly, the thing for for anybody is 
you have to you have to know that there's some everybody needs that little carrot and and I think that's what Kobe was really saying to me um, I said I said Kobe if you didn't have an NBA would you still play and he goes no I'd do something else I said well I didn't have a WNBA and I stayed with it and I played in men's leagues and I played on the Globetrotter tour and I played in the USBL I said how many times would you keep shooting a basketball at a backboard that had no rim? You know, we need to see, we need to, to have some sort of declaration that shooting at this basket is going to mean something. But if there was no rim, how many times would you keep shooting at a backboard? And I said, I kind of think sometimes in my career, I've just been shooting a ball and there's been no rim. But I just loved the game so much, I didn't want to stop shooting. And he goes, I could have never done that. You know, he he was always in a think tank. He was always so curious. And those are really um, awesome uh, moments for me um, to be around, you know, different people, different players. But nobody was as curious as, as Kobe Bryant. He's a phenomenon. An amazing human being. You are also an amazing human being. You're a champion. You champion others and inspire those around you. And I, I truly can't thank you enough for making time to come on my show today and share a part of your journey. Well, thank, thank you so much. If there's anything you ever need, you know how to get a hold of me, okay? Thank you, Nancy. For Nancy Lieberman, okay. I'm Amanda Smith. We'll catch you next time on How She Did It. <laughs>